Hi, and welcome to the Overeaters Anonymous meeting, Tuesday the 22nd of December 2020. And today we are delighted to have our speaker, Laurie C. Take it away, Laurie. Thank you very much. I have about 20 minutes, I think, to talk about a topic that is uh, extremely important uh, to me. Uh, because um, although I've been abstinent for 27 and a half years, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, I went through seven years of relapse. Um, they say you often hear recovery is part, uh, is a relapse is part of recovery, or sometimes you hear relapse is not part of recovery. Um, I'd say it's a mixture and it's neither. Uh, it's, it's neither. Um, I was, I got into this program. Oh, I should share. I, I'll share one picture just of what I, what I used to be like, uh, uh, there that's, that's not at me at my worst, but that's what I, I have looked like in my, in my time. Um, I, I joined this program and as some of you, because I know I've, I've spoken to many of you, uh, some of you may have heard, I got into this program without having to lose a hundred pounds, saving myself, I think at least 150 or 200 pounds because an AA uh, man who's a friend of mine who had been truly a gutter drunk, uh, literally in the gutters of my main street in my hometown and had been rescued by Alcoholics Anonymous had introduced me to uh, many people who had been in the gutter and had you know, risen uh, in incredible ways with depths in their souls. And he told me that I should be taking my, uh, my addiction as seriously as he took his. Uh, and, and because he had come from such an amazing background, and I hadn't, you know, I, I, I haven't suffered in the same way that he has, or frankly, that many people in, in OA have. I didn't think that my problem was as serious. I knew it was leading to my early death. I knew that on the passageway, on the journey through my compulsive eating, lay a whole bunch of debilitating uh, illnesses that derived from compulsive eating. For me, it was uh, all the diabetes related illnesses. Uh, it was uh, heart illnesses. It was strokes, it was uh, gangrene, it was uh, blindness, it was, uh, you know, uh, hip problems, knee problems, all the things that gradually kill us off at death by a thousand cuts. Uh, but I didn't think, because it wasn't as dramatic as the stories that I had heard from him and from his friends, uh, I knew that I didn't think that it was that serious. But he told me I had the right to treat it seriously. So I jumped into OA with um, a number of pounds to lose, uh, and I embraced it right away. I, I followed a diet that I had uh, used in a weigh-and-pay plan. I eliminated all the uh, excess uh, wasted calories that I had to, and I worked the steps as well as I could, differently from the way I work them now, but as well as I could. And um, when I had lost my weight uh, and I had finished uh, working the steps the first time around, my sponsor said, all right, abstinence is not eating compulsively, abstaining from eating compulsively. That was the definition in OA at the time. And so I said, fine, I just won't eat compulsively. I'll eat moderately. Uh, and I then followed the diet that I had followed before and gave myself uh, treats, 
uh, in moderation because they said, I, now, now you've lost your weight, you can have a little bit of that, a little bit of that in moderate measured amounts in at specific times a week, once to, a week, twice a week or whatever. And I gained not quite all my, all my weight back, but almost. And then I went through the steps again with the sponsor and lost my weight and then gave myself my treats back and gained the weight again. And this went on for seven years. Um, it, you know, I never let, left the rooms, but I was certainly leaving the, the program behind. I was talking the talk and not walking the walk. Uh, and I was brought to my senses, not by the hopelessness of what was going on with me. I knew it was hopeless. I knew that the cycle was the same cycle that I had followed in all the diet programs I'd ever been on. Uh, but what brought me back was the love and honesty of the shyest person in the room who came up to me one day and said, how are you, Laurie? And I said, fine. And she looked me straight in the eye, unlike everyone else in that room who would just say, oh, nice to hear your voice. Glad to hear you're fine. She looked me straight in the eye. She said, I mean, really? And I, I was taken aback because, of course, we're such gentle people. Uh, and uh, I, I said, I'm in terrible shape. And I, I realized I was in terrible shape. I realized I needed help. At that moment, someone had the love for me to be honest with me, uh, which I didn't find much in the rooms in those days. I still don't. We, we enable ourselves. We, we're just nice to each other because this is supposed to be a safe place. It isn't supposed to be a safe place. The 12 steps are not safe. The 12 steps push us into areas that aren't safe. And, uh, it, but it should be a compassionate place. It should be a loving place. It should be a place where we, we meet people who know each other, but it shouldn't be a safe place. It should be a place where people are really told, you know, the steps are here if you wanna do them. And if you're not doing them, why are you here? Uh, you know, and just sort of really with love, with love, anyway. So I started to work the steps and, and again, and I discovered that I had made, as I began to analyze my relapses, I discovered that I had made two major mistakes. I want to share those with you and to talk about how I deal with my, my sponsees uh, and friends who have relapsed. The first mistake I made was not accepting what we, you will find in on pages two and three of our OA 12 and 12, the group conscience of OA. You will find it in our pamphlet, Dignity of Choice. And you will also find it in the big book, all OA approved literature, all literature, which is part of the group conscience of OA. And that is that there's something abnormal about our bodies as well as our minds. And that it isn't a matter of simply working the steps and eating moderately or following a diet even. It is a matter of accepting that in some way, shape or form, maybe not medically, maybe not scientifically based, but there is a part of us that is abnormal in that once we start to indulge in certain behaviors and or certain foods and or certain mixtures of ingredients, our bodies tell us that, it wants, that they want more. 
and they tell us in such a way that it, it overwhelms our willpower in the same way that I can't keep my eyelids from blinking for more than 20 seconds to 30 seconds, or I can't stop myself from breathing for more than, for me, it's a minute. I think the world record is four minutes. Um, at a certain point, the body takes over. Now, whether this is medically true, I don't care. I know it's true for me. I know that 30 years of therapy might not cure the fact that my mother, when I was nursing, when I was a baby, was told by the doctors and all the experts, you have to feed him every four hours. And even if he cries after two hours, don't feed him. It's every four hours. That's what you have to do. Who knows what traumatic effect that had on my psyche. But 30 years of therapy wouldn't have got rid of it. I would still have this need to eat. And I, I believe there's a chemical aspect to it, but I could be wrong. And I, there's no reason to, to accept that it's true or not. But the reality is, and what I had to accept was A, that this has happened to me and doesn't happen to normal people, that normal people don't continue to do self-destructive things uh, while they're doing them, that they don't get these cravings, that at a certain point, instead of getting the ease and comfort that I got from eating ice cream, they got a sense of unease and discomfort at a certain point when they ate too much. And I never did. I've never, been, I've been stuffed, but I've never been full. I've always been able to eat more. And, you know, for the under eater, it's, it's true about their eating behaviors. If they restrict or they purge, there's something that they do that to me is foreign, but that to them seems natural and to, and, 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 my, and my actions don't seem natural to them. So this abnormality was the first mistake I made. And, and, uh, I, and that, I, because if I accepted that abnormality, I then had to analyze my particular cravings, my particular activities, the things that caused me to develop these abnormal cravings. And the group conscience of OA is expressed in the dignity of choice and in other publications is that each one of us is different or is potentially different. And that what might, what you might have to abstain from things I don't have to abstain from. And uh, I might have to abstain from things you don't have to abstain from. And that anyone who tries to tell you that you must follow their plan of eating is acting contrary to the group conscience of OA because we really have to do our own our own analysis. And this makes it different from almost every other 12-step program, not almost, not every, but most of them who all agree on, on a substance or a group of substances or a behavior. They agree, this is what we abstain from. They take it for granted that you abstain and then you work the steps. We have to be honest with ourselves and we have to figure out using the help of all kinds of people who have more experience than we do, what we have to abstain from. And we are a fellowship that spans uh, eating behaviors, just as Gamblers Anonymous does, and single substances, just as Alcoholics Anonymous does. And in between can be all kinds of mixtures of ingredients. For me, it's fat and salt and fat and sugar. For others, it may be one or two ingredients, uh, or it may be particular foods that taste like, like heaven, you know, that, that, that have nothing to do with any of our, our particular uh, ingredients, but just give us a sense of we're home. That was the first mistake I made. And so when I f began to work the steps of uh, 27 or 28 years ago, again, I did that analysis. 
and then I abstained and I worked the steps. And the miracle occurred, guaranteed by step nine, that I no longer wanted to indulge in going back because I did accept that other aspect of our problem, which is uh, first uh, described by Dr. Silkworth in the doctor's opinion, that not only do I have this craving, this abnormality of the body, I have an abnormality of the mind. And that abnormality of the mind is that I have a mind that will find any excuse in the world to go back to that which I'm trying to abstain from. I mean, the normal person knowing that eating something will cause problems, anaphylactic shock, peanuts, shrimp, would just not eat those things. Abnormal people will find excuses to go back to that which they know they shouldn't eat. I know I can't eat ice cream. I knew that. I've known that for 50 years. But, and I've eaten tops of ice cream. But my mind would always give me permission. You've been very good. You've lost weight. Uh, you didn't eat the bun at supper time. So you can have the ice cream at nighttime. You exercise for at least 10 minutes. That's got to be good for the whole tub of ice cream. Or, you know, or just one will be enough. You know, just a little bit will be enough. All kinds of excuses. Ranging from you've had a horrible life and life has kicked you in the guts to uh, I'm standing up so it doesn't count. It's just a range of stupid excuses. So the steps get rid of that mind and the miracle occurred to me. I didn't want to eat or indulge in the things I was abstaining from. But the second mistake I made was knowing how to live in that recovery. And I did not realize for me, the, my, my second mistake was uh, that I did not understand step 10. Step 10 reads as if I'm supposed to apologize every time I do something wrong. And so I went to a time in my early days in OA where things began to go very, very bad for my wife's family, whom I loved tremendously. Really difficult illnesses and, and deaths. And, I was, and my reaction to that my wife was away. I was taking, taking care of her family. I was doing more taking care of the kids. My reaction was to yell at my kids and then as a good step tenor to apologize to them. But I never did what I had done in step nine, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, analyze what was going on in my life in order to figure out my reactions to the illnesses of my wife's family. Uh, and, and because I had never done that, apologizing to my kids, which I thought was step 10, uh, was, was not working because I was still living with the boiled up feelings of frustration and anger and sadness and, uh, you know, and, and all that relating to the illnesses. So when I realized that step 10 means in some way, shape or form to do steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine over again in the context of recovery, so that now I've, I want to keep my recovery, I have to keep dealing with the past that keeps occurring as I live my life. I mean, between my last step nine and today is X number of days or months. So there's a past and there's also a present. There are things that are going on and I develop fears about the future. So I have to work at these whole things. Uh, and that's what my step 10 is. So since I have understood uh, what abstinence is and the whole concept of abstaining from particular foods, ingredients and behaviors and understood step 10, I have not had a relapse for 27 and a half years. Now, when I have sponsees who relapse, 
or I meet people who have relapsed, I always say to them, given this vision of the body problem and the mind problem, that there are only two possible reasons for relapse. The one is that your plan of eating still includes things that you should be abstaining from. And, and this I have found to be something people just don't do. They just don't do that analysis. Maybe the problem is that their body's talking to them and saying, you need more. I want more of that that, you, that you're eating, uh, or I want more of those behaviors that you're indulging in. And you may think that, for instance, while you're working the steps at the beginning, that uh, you know, you've heard of red light, yellow light, and green light foods, that yellow lights are the foods you have to be careful about. Well, I say to people working the steps for the first time, why have any yellow lights at the beginning? You know, just make, have red lights and green lights. And when you get sane after step nine and you know you, your mind is no longer befogged and you can look at the stuff you've given up as not being interesting to you in and of itself, then you can look at some of the foods that might've been on your yellow um, uh, list and say, well, you know, I can experiment with those, or I don't want to experiment with those. I mean, whatever happens, but you'll be safe. Uh, so I always go through the analysis, and I have found people who have kept their little indulgences. You know, they, they have just said, well, I'll have a little bit of this, or a little bit of that, and it'll be fine. And so I always have them look at their plan of eating, especially if, if I haven't sponsored them, or I haven't been involved in their plan of eating, and I find that they've adopted someone else's plan of eating or someone else's diet, or they found something on the internet that seems to fit them. And I say, no, let's go through it. Let's go through your own experience. What have you found that you've indulged in without being able to stop? And let's analyze that. And let's analyze the ingredients in those things to make sure that you don't find the equivalent in some other food. You know, you, you may give up bread because you... You know, you're worried about flour, um, when in reality, it's not the bread, it's the butter you used to put on the bread. Uh, and bread was a medium for the butter. And then you go to baked potatoes and you slather butter on the baked potatoes. Well, you haven't done much of a change, but you think you're absent because someone told you that you ought to abstain from flour. Maybe you should abstain from flour, but not if you haven't done the analysis. You know, so I will say to people, is it all breads? Is it bread or what you put on the bread? Is it pasta or what you put on the pasta? Is it all pastas? Is it all breads? Is it some breads, you know, because there are breads that are more like cakes than breads, you know, stuff like that. So that's the first thing I do. The second thing I do, and I, I know I'm rapidly uh, running out of time. I, I'm going to take about three more minutes. Is I say, you didn't do the steps quickly enough. Your mind caught up with you before you uh, finish the steps. You have to make this a priority. You can do the steps quickly. Don't listen to any method of working the steps, especially for you, that has you working the steps over months and months and months. They were meant to be done quickly. You can do them uh, down and dirty and, um, and you can get the recovery and then you can refine the issues. So I, I talk about developing a strategy for dealing with day-to-day -day issues, voting in your food, uh, really uh, being stricter than normal, not having any in your house, uh, ha saying to yourself, I will eat this food that I'm tempted to eat, but only after I've had two glasses of water, read 10 pages of literature and written uh, four pages uh, uh, in my journal. And, you know, and, and by the time you do that, you won't want to eat it. And if you're like me, 
and you get up in the middle of the night, having two glasses of water is enough of a deterrent uh, because you, 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 know, you don't want to be up all night. So I, I suggest to people they develop that kind of strategy. But the one thing I don't do is force them to do the same thing that they did the first time they joined, study everything and analyze and ask all kinds of questions. I say, let's get you abstinent and let's go back to the steps and put on your step fours of resentment, I relapse. Put down fears, I fear I will always relapse and figure out in steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, what the response you should have is and what the amends you owe are. Um, so for me, relapse is not part of recovery, but relapse can give us a sense of priority. It can give us a sense of uh, urgency because if, if we could really, everything seemed so good and it wasn't doing well, uh, I'm, I'm wrapping up very quickly, uh, then um, we can learn from that. I, all, I, you know, for me, the only mistake we make is not learning from our mistakes. For me, the image that I have of a relapse is we're going up a mountain, we've reached the top, and then we fall. But we don't fall backwards. We fall down, and it's a, it may be a long way down, but we've gone an inch or two forward because we have the experience of the mistakes we've made. Let's analyze those mistakes and let's go on, but let's hurry up and let's not dawdle and let's not torture a person for their relapse and make them do the same things they've done over and over and over again and keep feeling guilty about. Let's just pick them up. Which there's a, a Robbie Burns poem, I'll, I'll lay down and bleed for a while then rise up and fight again. Uh, you know, I'll lay me down and bleed a while, then rise up and fight again. And that's how I see it. So uh, I'm, I think that's my 20 minutes and that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, thank you so much. That was wonderful.